There is a lot of trauma and tragedy in these documents. And I think that's really important to remember. These aren't just stories. They are real experiences that happen to real people in a real place and time. And it, it can be hard stuff. From the Society of American Archivists student chapter at the University of Alabama, this is Archives and Communities, a podcast highlighting community archiving initiatives and the people behind them. My name is Matthew Hamilton, and in today's episode, it is my pleasure to welcome Miss Lydia Neuroth, the project manager for Virginia Untold at the Library of Virginia, located in Richmond. Virginia Untold is a digital project that facilitates access to some of the experiences of enslaved and free black people in the library's collections. The project began in 2013. In addition to completing traditional archival functions, such as processing, indexing, and digitizing resources, Ms. Neuroth also spends much of the time implementing outreach and engagement opportunities. Ms. Neuroth, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Matthew. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where you grew up? That sort of thing. So I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. I was an only child. I feel like I have to start by saying that I I had a, a pretty privileged upbringing. I'm very thankful for that. My parents worked very hard, but there was never a question about me going to school. I always had that opportunity in front of me. I knew that I was I would always be supported financially, mentally, and emotionally to pursue whatever career path that I wanted and that I sort of had the privilege to decide. And so I did choose to go to the University of Virginia. I went to UVA and I studied history there. And I feel like I was not really confronted with issues that I face in my career path today until uh, when I started working uh, later at a historic site in Virginia. But I, I was kind of kind of circling around various social racial issues in my world, but I, I never had to grapple with them in meaningful ways. And I, I think that it's important to mention that, especially for someone like me in this work, I, as a middle-class white female, um, I was part of a group that historically had oppressed people of color um, in this country. And as a white person, I did benefit from those power structures and I continue to benefit from them. And that's something that feels really heavy to open with, but at the same time, I feel like I can't not say because I am forced to look at the historical precedents for those things every day in my work. I, I think about them a lot now and I didn't have to think about them for, for many years. And so that has influenced and shaped now how I feel but on a more lighthearted side, yes, I, I grew up in Charlottesville. It is a, um, in many ways, a Southern town. And I eventually transitioned to uh, North Carolina where I got my graduate degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and then finally ended up in Richmond. Thank you for bringing up that important topic about how you grew up with those certain things. When did you learn about archiving and what path led you to become an archivist? 
Yeah, I I don't think I really knew that archives was a career until a couple years after I started working. I pursued a history degree in college. I loved the study of the past. I often thought about public history and how we interpret the past. I still think a lot about that, um, how we break down very academic sorts of history and share it with people and make it meaningful. But it was in my first job at James Madison's Montpelier, where I was studying the experiences of the enslaved people that lived and worked there. And I was actually spending a lot of time in the courthouse trying to trace these individuals. And I realized that understanding these documents, how they were written, how they were organized, how they were put together would make me a lot more successful at doing research. And then it dawned on me, someone explained to me that there's a whole science behind organizing documents and it's it's called archival science or library <laughs> science. Right, um, right. So I started right. And so I started looking into library science programs. UNC Chapel Hill offers a really great opportunity to work in the records there. Specifically, the Southern Historical Collection is an incredible collection, especially if you are studying the experiences of enslaved people. I did choose to go to that school, and I, I knew that history was always going to be my bend, so I, I did specialize, or I took a lot of classes, I should say, in archival science, and that was sort of my path to archives. Well, I can, I can understand that. I was a historian first myself until I asked the question, well, um, how do historians get all this information? And it's through archivists and librarians that they're able to do that. In your current position, uh, can you explain a little bit about your responsibilities? I currently, as you mentioned, am the project manager for Virginia Untold at the Library of Virginia. And this this position is is new. It This is the first time that the Virginia Untold project has had a project manager overseeing the work 40 hours a week, someone dedicated to thinking about the project every day for their job. And so I just started, I'm, I've only been here for less than a year. I started in May of 2021. Um, but before I get too far into my current day responsibilities, I sort of wanna back up and talk sure. about the path that led me here. I definitely mentioned how I came to pursue a library science degree, but I think, more importantly was what got me started and really interested in the documents themselves, because I think that that's, that's what I think about all day is the documents. I was certainly spending a lot of time in the courthouse, but I was there because I was studying the experiences of enslaved people at Montpelier um, as an intern. I started as an intern, actually. That was kind of how I got my, my start in public history. I was asked to research the lives of these people that had been enslaved at Montpelier, which is the home of James Madison in Orange County, Virginia. And I was building off of the work of, of many people that had come before me, principally Amy Coates, who did a lot of research in the very early stages of the site. And Montpelier was still in a process of trying to better understand who these people were. I think they were still in a phase of knowing about these histories, but not spending a lot of time digging into them or recognizing them in the same ways that the experiences and the lives of James Madison and Dolly Madison were, or things in the house even. 
So I was, I was spending a lot of time with these individuals and I was realizing that there was so much to be understood about their networks, about their communities, about their friendships, their families, where they went after Madison died and even their descendants. I think that's a huge part of it too. I, I had the privilege of working with a team of people that was trying to identify living descendants of the people that were enslaved at Montpelier. All of that experience helped me to understand that what I loved about documentary research was identifying lesser known histories. And I think at Montpelier, I was definitely in a position to study black history. And I am now as well. I've gained a real I would say a skill set and a passion for that particular history, but I don't know if it will always look that way for me. I think I will always be seeking out the experience of the everyday person. I will always be seeking out the stories that have not been told and not been exposed because I think that it's in those moments that we can really connect with the past. Mm -hmm. And as a researcher, I love that. And as an archivist, if I can recreate that experience or facilitate that process of research with someone, that feels like a successful day in my field. Um, so that was definitely what sort of propelled me even further to pursuing a master's degree in archives, in archival science, library science. And it was at UNC Chapel Hill that I, I was starting to put all of this together and realize that Librarianship is, is a huge piece of this as well. It's not just doing the research, it's sharing it. I found that I couldn't just be uncovering this these stories without sharing them with people. I had to reach people in a real way. And that's what I'm enjoying so much about Virginia Untold is the whole impetus behind the project is that it's more available. It's more accessible. The whole reason Greg, my supervisor, mm-hmm. wanted to put this online was so that people would find this material that's been hidden in, in boxes and record boxes and courthouses for years. Right, right. And so I'm very pleased that this project allows me to do the research, but also think about how we reach people with it. And so that kind of brings me to what I focus on now. As project manager for Virginia Untold, I was hired to focus on two very specific things, processing records from the city of Richmond. And the city of Richmond is a locality in Virginia that we do not have a lot of material for online yet. And so there's a a real focus on Richmond. Richmond also has a very dynamic free black and enslaved population that needs to be uncovered more deeply. It is a fascinating place. And then also overseeing the digitization of our uh, registers that document free people of color, free black people across Virginia. And so putting those online is another huge piece that we're focused on in making them more accessible. But all that to say is there's really a kind of unspoken or I should say a less defined piece of my job, which is outreach and engagement. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I think that the library has, from the beginning, done a really good job of sharing about this project. Greg Crawford is my supervisor the local records manager, and really the person I would credit with getting this project off the ground. He 
has always shared about it at public libraries, conferences, genealogy workshops. There's definitely been that piece of it. We've also realized that it's important to go to things like Juneteenth celebrations, Soulful Sunday events here in Richmond, even though we might be in the minority in terms of what we look like and the community members that are there, we have to show up to those events. We can't wait for people to come to us. We have to show up. And I think that we've also had a lot of success with various outreach projects. One of the ways I'd really like to see this project grow is sort of the engagement piece. So there's a whole component to sharing, but there's another aspect of listening. And when you engage with someone, you're not just sharing with them, you are listening to their feedback. And that's a piece that is really kind of hard to, I think, sometimes define or maybe hard to create a program for if it's not already there. And so that's something that I've been thinking a lot about is how do we create opportunities, whether it's an event, a program, an advisory board that allows us to hear from the community, to know what their needs are, their research needs, and how can they then contribute to the work Uh in a meaningful way, where it's not just us making decisions at an institutional level about what we think makes sense to put online and more about what is needed. What is, what are people researching right now? What, what kind of connections are they trying to make? What does this document mean to you? This is what it means to me, but does it mean something different to you? Mm -hmm. And I guess those outreach programs have become a little more challenging since we're living in the, you know, the era of COVID and you're developing, I assume more technologies and, and so forth to facilitate cultural representation, accessibility in particular, and preservation. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that. I've looked at the website, Virginia Untold, looked through some of the objects and documents that are on there. I guess it's never going to be complete, but how much more work do you think needs to be done to have it more accessible to users? Yeah, that's a great question that I think we are constantly trying to understand, wrap our minds around. Honestly, in a lot of ways, we've kind of just started thinking about that because this position, my position as a project manager is still grant funded. And so we are always thinking about sort of the future, but we're thinking about it, I guess, differently now in terms of content and what will be, where where does it end or where do we keep going? In terms of content and function, I can see Virginia Untold encompassing more collections from the library. Right now, Virginia Untold focuses primarily on records created at the local level, meaning across courthouses from the state of Virginia. And within those courthouses are all sorts of court documents that document very specific experiences of enslaved and free Black people. For example, petitions to remain. Petitions to remain were applications that 
people that were formerly enslaved had to submit to the state legislature or to their local court to remain in the state of Virginia. Um, the General Assembly in Virginia in 1806 passed a law that if you had been freed, if you'd been emancipated, you had to vacate the state within 12 months or you could be re-enslaved or sold. And so if you wanted to remain in the state with your family, with your community, with your free status, you were free, but you had to petition the, the state for that permission. Many free people relied on community networks and sort of the, the opinions of other white people in the community to help them gain the status to remain. The whole reason that that document even exists is because Virginia was trying to actively remove its free black population. I mean, the discrimination, the the prejudice, the racism is embedded in the creation of the document. And so that's a long way of saying that this project has focused on records created at the local level because they are so important to understand and they need to be available. They, they need to be seen, they need to be understood, they need to be researched. However, there are all sorts of connections that can be made with other collections within the library. So, for example, I'm finding all sorts of enslaved people that were hired to work at Tredegar Ironworks uh -huh. here in Richmond. Uh -huh. We at the library, in a different collection, have the records of the Tredegar Ironworks company. I'm sure you could make all sorts of connections between the individuals in these court papers to the private papers collection. Putting that online and helping someone make that connection is great. That's what we want. <laughs> There's all sorts of different avenues we could go in, in terms of putting more things online. That's where I think prioritization really comes into play. And we shouldn't be the only ones making the decision. So again, I'll reiterate that I think we need to better understand where the field is moving and also what the community is interested in. Does it make sense to exhaust the entire local records division at the Library of Virginia? Or do we move on to private papers and try to put account books online and letters and diaries and those types of things? We need the input. I don't think we should be making the decision in a bubble. You mentioned uh, Tredegar Ironworks. Do you collaborate or have you collaborated with the American Civil War Museum or even the Virginia Museum of History and Culture? Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that question. We do collaborate. I have to kind of give credit to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, which formerly was the Virginia Historical Society in Richmond. They started their uh, a No No Longer project in 20, let's see, 11. And they were going through the records, making sense of individuals, and then starting to put these things online. And I think it was sort of the kick in the butt that LVA needed to realize that, you know, we have a lot of these records as well. Not too long ago, we transferred their database within to the Virginia Untold website. So now you can access the Unknown No Longer project from Virginia Untold. We host them. And so a user can now access both collections from one single sort of entry point, which I think is really nice. 
Um, but in terms of other collaboration opportunities, there's an abundance. I, I'm really hoping that for Juneteenth this year, actually, we will partner with some of the local institutions in Richmond because there are so many that are also invested in this sort of work. Uh-huh. Um, I really see collaboration coming in the form of, of outreach. And I think that it, it would start there and maybe from there, thinking about how we can tie records or tie research paths together. I'm supposed to be in conversation with a woman from the Henrico Parks and Rec Division. I know that they have done a lot of work to transcribe their registers that document free people. These registers are incredible resources. Actually, many of them have been transcribed either internally or published in some way. Uh The library has almost 40 in our collection that we've recently digitized and and we are going to put on our transcription platform to have them crowdsourced transcribed. However, as I'm realizing, so many counties have already had volunteers transcribe these works. So I've been thinking a lot about how we can make those things available. I know that the Henrico County Parks and Rec Division did that internally, so they have spreadsheets within their own sort of holdings, but how do we make that available to people and also honor the work that's been started and already done by so many people dedicated to making this accessible? Yeah, that's um, interesting you say that. The Parks and Recreation, do you know the Slave Trail and the uh, African-American Cemetery and so forth? Do they have documentation or stories that they're willing to share with you to put online about those places? The slave cemetery was almost no longer the slave cemetery. I don't know if it's true, but VCU was planning on building a parking lot there Yes. until they started digging and realized, oh, wait, there's something here that we shouldn't be disturbing. So long-winded question, but is there any collaboration being done about stories from that time being shared, or can we in fact find any that can help us understand the the slave experience, but not just them, but those that were enslaving them? Yeah, so for example, that burial ground is also where Gabriel was hung, yep. a rebellion in the city of Richmond in 1800. And so we have the records of Gabriel Prosser, if that was his last name, within the Virginia Untold database. Those things are available. And I know that the Library of Virginia has collaborated with, I'm pretty sure it was the city of Richmond. I think that they own the the archaeological materials that are from Lumpkin's jail site, which is across the way from the burial ground. I know that LVA, probably the Valentine probably VMHC assisted in a exhibit on the slave trade as it relates to Richmond that was at the train depot for quite some time. So those partnerships and collaborations have definitely happened in the past. But in terms of thinking forward, I am uncovering so much stuff about the city of Richmond and it's still very early. Um, these, these things will probably not be online for another I'm sad to say, uh, a year to two years. As I'm I'm making connections and understanding people and more about the city of Richmond, I would love to think about how we would share that in a more public way than just putting it online. Because I think that 
there's a lot of power in exhibition. There's a lot of power in collaboration, as you've mentioned, thinking about the American Civil War Museum or other institutions locally that have a platform to share it. I think a lot is gonna to come to light in the next year that helps us to better understand sort of this Richmond landscape, which I'm very excited about. It's an exciting time, I think, to be a, an archivist and librarian. Yeah. To close, I have one last question. Do you have any advice for emerging archivists that would be interested in this type of work? Uh, yes, it will be pretty general. It would definitely be to take care of yourself. So what I've learned recently is that this is a field that takes advocacy. You will be doing your job, but you'll also often be in a situation where you'll have to talk about why your job's important and why it needs to be funded and why you need resources. And that can be really draining. That can yeah. really burn you out. Promotion is just a part of archive work because it is so behind the scenes. So I think it's really important that you find a good work-life balance. I think also with particular marginalized histories, there is a lot of trauma and tragedy in these documents. And I think that's really important to remember. I also think that it can be a huge emotional burden to bear alone. So just something to be mindful of in, in your work ways that you can share about it in, in meaningful ways with others that allows you to not be alone with the hard history because these aren't just stories. They are real experiences that happen to real people in a real place and time. And it, it can be hard stuff. My very general advice is take care of yourself because <laughs> Most archivists are, are not in it because they knew they were going to make a lot of money. Um, they're already passionate. They're already passionate. They're already driven individuals. So think about work-life balance for sure. Well, that is very um, good advice to take to heart for sure. And I thank you for taking this time to uh, speak with me about your work. It's a fascinating field to be in. And all those who are listening on the podcast, thank you for listening and have a good evening. This was an episode of Archives and Communities, the official podcast of the SAA student chapter at the University of Alabama. Music by Scanglobe and Scott Holmes. Opinions expressed in this podcast are not reflective of any particular institution. Thank you for listening and join us again next time.